Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the Page One Podcast, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. Um, We now have a bank of over 100 episodes, so please do go back and check the past guests. I'm sure there'll be someone that you're interested in hearing from. Yeah, there's been some fantastic guests. This season alone, we've had some fantastic guests. Georgia Pritchett. Uh, Ian Rankin. Ian Rankin. I'm going to forget Ian Rankin. Mind blank there. That was, that was <laughs> James Oswald last James Oswald was brilliant. Yeah, it's been, it's been a really good season. Anna Matsola. Yeah, no, there's been, there's been great guests this season, but also going further back. Um, so please do, do check that out, as I say. But this week, we have another fantastic guest. Yeah, another great one to add to the list. We're chatting with Fonda Lee who um, started off as a young adult uh, author. She wrote Zero Zero Boxer, which was uh, nominated for uh, a number of awards back in 2016. And then she wrote Exo a year later, but perhaps she's best known for her adult novels, Jade City, uh, in the Green Bone saga, Jade City, Jade Ward, Jade Legacy is the latest one. Yeah. It's a really cool like the really huge of fantasy and in... cyberpunk, it... cyberpunk, steampunk. Yeah, it, not... It, well, it's not even steampunk. It's it's just it's it's fantasy, but not as you would know it. It's yeah. it's it's not medieval European fantasy. Yeah, exactly. And we talked to her about that quite a lot because, yeah, when people think of fantasy, they think of a sort of medieval Europe setting. They think of wizards. They think of yeah. all these things. But yeah. this is set in almost like a modern day world, albeit not this world. Um, it, but there is some magic through the use of of jade. It, it bestows powers on people yeah. and it, it's really like a gangster saga yeah, a family kind of a gangster saga like, too, isn't it? yeah like a sort of godfather type yeah, yeah. story it's a fantastic uh, mixed with some brilliant action scenes sort of wuxia type uh, 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 crouching tiger hidden dragon type uh, fighting scenes as well so really spectacular books that have won huge amounts of awards yeah Already in like the top 100 fantasy books of all time for a lot of people. Um, so it was really interesting speaking to Fonda about all of that, about where she got the idea and, you know, about as well writing outside your own comfort zone and your yeah. own experience as well. Um, yeah. And what what's needed when you do that sort of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of fear that people have about writing, but something which they don't have uh, personal experience of, I suppose. And yeah. there's that dangerous... I suppose it's a danger on both sides. You can either stick to just what you know so strictly that you never write about anything else, and the opposite is you write about something which you don't really have any authority on and you don't didn't sound authentic, yeah. and it's... How do you balance that? I, I, I just think that, yeah... I, I mean, we do talk about this in detail with Fonda, so we won't yeah. go into too much detail here, but my own view is that, uh, you know, books would be so boring if people oh, only totally. wrote about things they know. Yeah. You know, it, th- yeah. th- there's a need to bring authenticity and to understand what you're writing about. I think Absolutely. that's vital. That's the key. But that yeah. doesn't mean that if you haven't personally experienced it, you can't write about it. No, as totally long as you're, agree. you've got a reason for writing about it, I think that's yeah. the important thing. Yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway, we're we're we're, we're uh, giving a preview of our discussion in the podcast. <laughs> but but, there, but so. I will, the one thing I'll say before we go on is that people should stick around 
for the end of this episode because there's a very special announcement coming. Yeah, so if if you watched watched on YouTube or listened to our episode with Ian Rankin, you'll know there was a or follow us on social media, there was a big competition to win a number of books, including a signed book by Ian and some signed page one notebooks. And the winners have been picked. The competition is now closed and we will be announcing the five winners at the end of the episode. So please do hang around for that. But we'll play a quick advert for page one, our writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the episode to announce the competition winners and also to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I know you uh, worked in business for some time. When I was around 10 years old, I told my parents I wanted to be a writer. (laughs) I wanted to be a writer since, since around that age. And that desire has uh, uh, waxed and waned um, throughout the years. I remember really wanting to be a writer uh, as a child. And then um, my parents saying, that's, that's lovely. Uh, make sure that you get good grades, go to college and get a job that can financially support you. Uh, so that's what I did. And I, I threw myself into other career paths for a while and always thought of writing as a hobby, um, Mm -hmm. something that was kind of a bucket list item, um, the same way that you might think, I'd like to run a marathon one day, you know, but Mm -hmm. you don't think of yourself as a runner, you just think of yourself as someone who likes to run. And that's that's something you would um, maybe be able to achieve one day when you have the time and the wherewithal to do that. So uh, that's how I thought about writing was I was pursuing my day job, my career in in business. 
and I would write for, um, for my own enjoyment. I was writing uh, just fiction on the side, fan fiction, and um, never really thought of it as a career. And I, I think I, I chalk that up largely to the fact that I didn't have a lot of uh, role models. I didn't think that it was a mm. real job, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. I really thought, oh, the writers are sort of a special breed of people. And I didn't know any writers. I didn't have any um, examples of writers, especially um, Asian American writers in speculative fiction. Um, everything that I read in fantasy, which was my genre of choice that I loved, was medieval Europe, and uh, you yeah. know, not at all. You know, some didn't didn't have characters or authors um, yeah. that that I could relate to. So uh, I um, ha- was going along in my business career and reached a point where I had no time to write. Um, life got super busy. I had a demanding day job. I had two small children um, and I had no time to write. I had barely mm-hmm. you know, time to, uh, to, to exercise a little bit and like get six hours of sleep kind of situation. <laughs> and um, Sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah and, you, know, you all reached out. So I kind of had a, I guess you'd call it a, a third life crisis, middle thirty percent life crisis, yeah. where I, where I realized I wasn't, uh, I'd lost something that I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. and I was at this point in my career where I was supposed to be um, determining my next path. I was at a promotion juncture, and so my 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 manager was asking me things like, well, "Where do you see yourself in the company in five years?" and you know what what track do you see yourself on? So I was doing all these like career visioning exercises where you, you know, think about what do you enjoy most and what are your goals? And um, through that whole process, uh, the, the outcome that my manager most definitely did not expect was me thinking to myself, you know, I don't want to do any of these jobs. (laughs) Just What I really want to do is, is get back to writing um, mm-hmm. Because you answer all these questions like, well, what did you most enjoy when you were a child? And what kind, what, yeah. came, what comes naturally yeah. to you? What feels like fun? Like writing. Uh, so, so this, this I, whole time, had you been writing on, on the side then? Had you been, have you been doing pr- stuff just for you, for yourself? Earlier on. So yeah. I had been. And then I had yeah. a, a fallow period of about four to five years where I, just, I, had, I didn't write. I didn't have time to write. And uh, that, was, that was the point at which I was like, you know, I really, that was something I used to really enjoy and I've lost it and I want to get back to it. So um, instead of, you know, recommitting myself to my day job and, and stating that I wanted to be a director in five years or whatnot, um, I said, oh, actually, I'm pretty happy at this level. I just want to, you know, I, I want to actually cut back on my hours. Um, and uh, my manager was very supportive because she thought oh she needs you know time to spend with her family but i'd not spend that with my family instead i started taking writing classes <laughs> and working on a novel manuscript uh, so that's what i did for um you know the for, for a couple of years i said you know i'm going to try and uh and and get published because that was always or the, the the dream that i had in the back of my mind one day i was going to write a book yeah so i became um serious about writing for publication. And I started um, working on a novel manuscript and I, I wrote a novel. Um, I took writing classes on, on the side. And um, then I queried that novel 
and started to get a little bit of interest and a few requests, uh, full requests. Um, and in the meantime, I started writing another novel. And I wrote that novel um, and I brought it to a writing conference um, where I got a lot of interest and then landed an agent and that became my debut novel. Uh, and at that point, I started to to transition out of my day job and, and um, find ways to make writing my my main um, focus. And it took a, a little bit of time, but I, I went part time in my day job so that I could spend more time writing and then. Um, eventually I, sold, I wrote and sold another novel, which became a duology, and I uh, quit my day job, but then contracted back as a consultant so that I could take projects for several months at a time and then uh, not take a project for several months so I could, I could work mm-hmm. on my novels. So um, I am uh, one of those cases of uh, someone who wanted to be a writer very early on and um, went and did other things and then came back and reclaimed that ambition. And and you, you said you, you there that you did uh, writing classes as well. I mean, did that, you know, how important in the development of your writing do you think that was? I think it was important for two reasons. The first was just the discipline of doing it regularly and considering mm-hmm. it, um, as a, a serious commitment. So um, when I started um, really dis- really wanting to make writing a part of my, my schedule, part of my life, having a class where I knew I had to turn in something yeah. mm-hmm. every week was yeah. helpful for instilling that self-discipline. And it's something that, you know, writers have to um, have even when you're established and you have you know, at the, this point, I have six novels out. I still have to find that self-discipline of like, yeah. okay, what's my schedule so that I can hit my goals? Because unlike most jobs, you don't have someone who's checking in on you every day. You have to do that. Um, so the writing classes and, and having a curriculum um, that with expectations helped me to do that. And then the other thing it did was just normalize it and and help me to find a community in, of other people yeah. who we're also um, striving towards this goal uh, because sometimes it seems like, you know, everyone and their dog has a, a book idea and wants to turn it into a novel. And then there's only a, you know, the, the small percentage of people who are going to follow up on that. And one of the most valuable experiences I had before I was published was I went to a writing workshop as a week long speculative fiction um, residential writing workshop called viable paradise uh, it's happened um, every year for many years, but it takes place on Martha's Vineyard for a week. Oh, and uh, yeah, and and it's I see the here. It is, and I've I've gone back to that workshop now as an instructor, which is which is a wonderful feeling Brilliant. to come back around full circle. But awesome. that was really valuable because for one week I was just with other people who wanted to do what I wanted to do, yeah. who yeah. you know understood. Um, that, you know, this wasn't a, it wasn't a, a pipe dream. It was something that, that really was, um, was a serious goal. And you see other people who've, who are taking it just as seriously as you. And, um, and you see established authors who've, who've made it, who are where you want to be. And that's really valuable when you're starting out. And, and uh, uh, another 
aspect of that, I suppose, is, is was that the first time when you're attending these things? You know, I've found with my own writing, getting uh, critiques from people that aren't your friends, your family, um, can really help open your eyes to how to fix a story, tighten it up and things like that. I mean, was that part of the experience as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. The, the sharing your work and being humble about it mm-hmm. and thinking about it not from your own egotistical perspective of just, oh, this this is something that um, that I'm doing, uh, you know, for myself, but also with the idea in mind that someone else is going to read this and you are crafting an experience for someone else is a mind shift that you have to make when you want to be published. Um, and yet you have to hold on to your own vision of the story as well. And you have to be able to hold both those things simultaneously. The, um, what do I want out of this story? What's going to make me happy? Why am I writing it? As well as what's the reader experience and how is an agent, an editor, and eventually a consumer going to experience this? Um, So you, you'd like many things in, in writing and publishing, you have to you have to wear different hats. You have to be, you know, you've got your writer hat, but you've also got your, your, uh, your marketing hat, if you will. Um, And also be able to hold the contradictory um, attitudes of, uh, of confidence. And like, I have something important to say, and yes, I should be published and my words are worth something as well as, you know, this is when you're hit revision. Well, this is, crap and I need to tear it down and yeah. rewrite it from scratch and be able to hold both of those possibilities in your mind and, and not kind of break under the the conflict between them. Now, Zero Boxer was your first novel that came out, but am I right in saying, did I pick you up right in saying that you had a, a novel, you'd written a novel prior to that? Zero Boxer um, was my debut yeah. and I had written about one and a half novels before that one. Okay. Um, that are now not to see the light. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with those ones? I think you wrote it and then did you try and get that one going so, somewhere and didn't find anything? So I wrote one novel that I thought of as like a practice novel and that uh, I didn't intend to get published. I was just trying to figure out like the shape of a novel um, and how to do one. And then I wrote one that I did um, query and sent to agents um, and that got some interest but didn't end up selling and then zero boxer was the one that sold and and then i think it's it's fair to say your big breakthrough came uh, with with jade city which yeah. um is i've seen described as a crouching tiger hidden dragon meets the godfather which is certainly a unique uh, pitch for a novel i think um uh, where where did that idea come from yeah well, first of all, I guess I'll mention that Jade City was my third published novel. Mm-hmm. And there is often, I think, a uh, preconception among early career writers that you have to break out with your first novel. Like your debut is it. Um, yeah. And it's a make it or break it book. And there's some truth to that because having a strong debut is absolutely um, beneficial to your career. Um, sets you up for success and you get if you if you're able to see success with your debut you're much more likely to be able to um, publish books um, 
after that one. At the same time, I think um, especially early career writers who are trying to sell their first book, put a lot of pressure on that first book in terms of, well, gosh, like this is it. This is my one chance, you know, it may not happen again. And, um, and I, I think that that may be uh, counterproductive because my, my debut novel was not my breakout book. It did fine. It it earned out. Um, but I sold it for a relatively small advance to a medium sized independent publisher and uh, won some awards. It ended up on some state lists, but it was by no means, uh, you know, a breakout. Um, yeah. And I now look back on it and I, I'm still extremely fond of that novel, but um, I've got so much better as a writer between when I, I wrote that novel and when Jade City came out. Um, Jade City came out because I was, uh, it w- first of all, it was my first um, adult epic fantasy novel. So my, my previous novels had been young adult science fiction novels. And uh, I um, had this uh, really a sort of an aesthetic, a vibe to, to the world that came to me first. So back in 2014, so this would have been before my debut novel came out. I had, I was brainstorming in one of these <laughs> skin notebooks that I carry around. And I wrote just the title. The title came to me, Jade City. And the the premise, which I jotted down underneath it, which was um, uh, a, a world where um, I wrote a, a modern gangster family saga. Um, and then I said something like a world where magic jade confers power to those who can wield it. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of the notes. And then I said, I have no plot. I have no characters. I don't know where this is going. And that's all. And so I left <laughs> that. It stayed in that form in my notebook for a couple of years yeah. uh, until I, but it didn't leave my head. So um, I now I'm at the point where, you know, I, I, whenever I decide what project to work on next, I think about um, the ideas that uh, refuse to exit. <laughs> so you, you, can, you have ideas all the time, right? As, as, as writers, we have, we're usually no lack of ideas, but oftentimes they pop into our head and like three days later, we're like, what were we yeah. thinking about? That makes no sense. And they, <laughs> they exit just as quickly, but the ones that stick around are the ones that are kind of screaming to be paid attention to. So I, um, I started working on it and fleshing it out. And um, it really was a case of the world and the premise was really strong in my mind. The vibe of this modern, um, fantasy, like taking from a bunch of things that I loved, including uh, gangster uh, cinema and kung fu movies and wuxia, martial arts, adventure and epic fantasy and taking these things that I, I enjoyed um, and mashing them together in a way that felt organic and and real and grounded. And I knew from the start that um, the core of this story was going to be this family uh, drama, this family saga. Um, One of my favorite films, no surprise, is The Godfather, Uh, but not because it is necessarily a a gangster movie, but because it's a family Mm -hmm. saga uh, in which the characters 
happen to be gangsters. So um, that's that's kind of the inspiration point for that story. Um, and when I wrote the Greenbone Saga, I had no idea if it would sell because um, I had I was under contract for this YA duology that I was working on, and I was entering a, a new genre. Um, and I'd always wanted to write both both mm-hmm. adult and and young adult. So I'd been working on on this adult project, but that meant going out on submission um, and and uh, no idea if it would be if it would sell, if it sold, whether it would be one book or or more books. Um, so I had to really write it uh, from a place of faith and thinking, well, if this goes nowhere, at least I'm enjoying myself. And this yeah. is this is what I want to see. Um, and it it really was the book that I wanted to read that I couldn't find on the shelf and that I wrote um, because I wanted to read it. And, and fortunately, we found a, a great editor and, and home for it. And why do you think, I mean, I mean, as you say, it's the first in the Green Bone saga and it's just had such incredible reviews. It's won so many awards and it's been such a big hit. And what is it you think that, that made it connect with so many, so many readers? Is it the kind of non-traditional take on fantasy, the kind of, as you say, the kind of mixing of these usually completely separate genres you kind of mash together? Is, is it, what is it about the, about the book that's really captured people's imaginations? It's interesting that you ask that because I actually think the fact that it is a non-traditional fantasy and the, that it is this sort of cross-genre blend made it harder to sell initially. So it was mm-hmm. by no means a hit out of the gates. It was a, it's a very, its success has been a slow build um, that has been driven very much by word of mouth. Okay. And by uh, the, the enthusiasm of readers and reviewers that I have been lucky enough to um, to get, because it was not, and you know, my it wasn't the sort of thing that could just be easily slotted into a subcategory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people have said, well, it's it's not it's not really it's not traditional medieval fantasy. It's not. It's not urban fantasy exactly. I mean, it is, but it's it doesn't fit kind of the, yeah. the accepted or common um, uh, perception of urban fantasy. Uh, and because it's not our world with kind of hidden magic world, it's a completely different secondary world. Um, and so, so, so it wasn't it wasn't easy to comp. You know how publishing loves comps, yeah. right? It yeah. loves to say it's this meets this. Yeah. Um, and it there it was hard to to say well it is like some other title uh, because there wasn't anything to comp it to uh, and, and so um, it was you know there was I I think that the reason it has grown to the you know the the level that it has is because of um, the enthusiasm of readers for these characters and for the world um but especially for the characters i think there's even though it's it's set in a in a secondary world and there's this magic element it really comes down the story comes down to the relationships between these family members and and obviously this family is a lot uh more violent than most but (laughs) it's there's so much to relate to in terms of the 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 struggles they go through um 
the the experience of um, of these characters trying to navigate their own desires with the duty and the obligations that they have to their family. Um, there's character who leaves home and goes and lives in another country in a diaspora community that has resonated with a lot of readers. Um, and I also think that uh, a lot of people were uncertain of um, reading a f- epic fantasy novel that is set in a secondary world, but in a modern day setting. Yeah. Yeah. But once they did, it it uh, worked for a lot of people because um, there's no reason why you can't have an epic fantasy yeah. that's set in, in in this case, analog of kind of late 20th century pre-digital era, but really recognizable in terms of guns and cars and um, streets and restaurants. And I just had so much fun building that world. Yeah. Um, because there is so much um, of texture that can come out in terms of just creating the city and naming the restaurants and describing the food that people are eating, the brand names of the cars and all of that. So I think it was, I I really do think that um, it has, I I really have to just honestly thank people who, uh, who fell in love with these characters and with the premise of the world and, and spread spread the word to their friends it's funny because actually with a with a number of guests that we've we've spoken to recently we've sort of been uh, asking the same thing which is that publishing has this very um sort of fixed in stone idea of what it wants say you'll hear editors and agents saying we want something new we want something different but in fact what they actually want is a tiny little twist on something that's already existed most of the time. Yes. Otherwise, they don't want to take the risk. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear that Jade City started slow and then and then um, it obviously built up by word of mouth. And it does seem to me that people are more... They may not even know it, but they're more open to different kinds of stories than publishers and agents think that, that they want Um I'm I'm thinking even on TV, you you know, with streaming services, you've got a lot of foreign stuff. You've got the the sort of Korean stuff like Squid Game and stuff. You've got Scandi Noir. All of that stuff is people are suddenly realizing that they don't mind subtitles and they enjoy these stories that are a bit different from what they've traditionally grown up with. So do you think the industry is changing a bit and will be slightly more open, but very, very slowly? Yeah. Publishing is very slow to change. Yeah. It, it is like a large ship that uh, is difficult to um, move because it has its established ways of doing things. It's a very old industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, to your point, there is this um, unhelpful cycle of, well, um, you know, we we don't know how to sell that. So we're not going to take the risk. So we don't take the risk. So there's no track record. So we're not going to try. There's this, this cycle of, um, of, of being uh, safe and going with the things that have established track records. And, and you're right. And we hear that kind of um, hypocritical talk a lot uh, in the, 
oh, we want something fresh. We want something different. We want something new, but not too fresh, different or new. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> just what we want is we want something that we Surface can sell, compare new. easily to something yeah. that's already a hit, um, yeah. but that is slightly different um, so that we can sell it as fresh and new while tapping into an already existing large base of readership. But the reality is that, uh, you know, and I, I know this from coming from a, from a business background, marketing background as well, is people don't know what they want until mm. you give yeah. it to them and you show mm. them what's possible. So if you only, if you're, if you're, if you're producing something based on like the wagging of the dog's tail, you know, you're only ever going to be kind of chasing the last thing that was popular. And once people see what's possible, that kind of opens the floodgates. And I do think that these last, I would even say five years in uh, genre fiction have been an opening of floodgates. Um, I do not think Jade City would have been published 10 years ago. Even. Mm-hmm. Um the the market wasn't there like there there just what it's a different landscape now um than it was which is wonderful um and i think it's it's not just in publishing but it's cross media in the last five years and you you mentioned squid game right and and um you know people have talked many times already about black panther and now shang chi and like the the fact that um once you have people who are willing to show you what's possible, the, then the doors open. Um, but it, it it is a hard um, path to like yeah. pry that door open. Uh, and I feel like I, I was, you know, I'm fortunate to have been kind of a part of that wave and to, to still be part of that wave of, of you know, the, the genre broadening and the idea of what f- speculative fiction, what fantasy and science fiction can be um, really becoming more mainstream and a lot broader uh, and um, just more uh, more encompassing really um, and that has been that's great because it means that you know there there's much more room to create in and much more choice yeah. and and possibility for readers. Now, now, Green Bone Saga, um, obviously, has elements of Western and Eastern storytelling. And I wondered, you know, and it's obviously much more than just lip service or surface level. Um, you know, is it, it was important to you that you wanted to uh, respect both traditions, you know, and, 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 and really put a lot of effort into, into not just doing it for, for the sake of it and actually spending the time and the research, etc., to tell the story properly and to to cover both both sides of it equally? Well, for me, it came from just a personal place of inspiration. As a, you know, I'm a second generation um, Asian, Canadian, American, I was born in Canada. Um, and I grew up consuming Western media. Um, you know, all the traditional epic fantasy, Martin Scorsese movies, you know, I, that was 100% my diet for uh, my childhood. And my dad was always trying to introduce me to Eastern storytelling traditions. And, you know, he would, uh, he introduced me to what, so Crouching, I remember Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out and I was just, I I loved that movie. I'd Mm. never seen anything 
like that before. And my dad was like, oh yeah, you like that. Here's like 25 <laughs> other things, you know, all these books, um, many of which, you know, uh, if, or, or he, I had he'd hunt down English translations for me. And, um, and so then that I, I really sort of in my teens and twenties start to consume a lot uh, more stories from, from Eastern cinema and like watching Hong Kong crime dramas and Kung Fu movies and, and rediscovering kind of all these things that my dad tried to show to me when I was younger, but I completely rejected. (laughs) So um, I'm very much a product of just consuming stories from both Eastern and Western tradition. And that just felt like a very natural place for me to go when I was writing my, my fantasy story, because I'm, you know, I'm, I have, I've not lived in Asia. So, so much of my conception of, of, um, of Asia really comes from, from the stories that I consume from media. And so that was, I, you know, I, I wouldn't even say like, it wasn't a like, Oh, like this is, this will make my story cool or different. It was just, what do I want to see? And like, what's really influenced me personally. Um, And, you know, I, I wanted to, to write from a place that felt true to myself in terms of what excited me and that, and I've, I've said this before, I feel like the Greenbone saga is a very Asian American story because it is, um, it is that kind of bicultural uh, blend of inspirations. And do you think that um, someone to be able to tell that kind of story, you know, is it important to have, first-hand experience of that kind of culture or is it something which you could where someone could research or is is there a I mean, we were chatting with Matt Ruff a while back who wrote about um, Lovecraft a country and um obviously that's about kind of the racism in the in the south um and and he's a white author and that's uh an area which a lot of people would have a lot of nervousness writing about something which they hadn't really personally experienced and I kind of wonder what your view was on writing um, books which are really kind of set in a kind of cultural pot and how much of an experience that an author needs to have to be able to write about something that's maybe outside their wheelhouse. Yeah, I think that this is a question that every author has to answer for themselves. I don't think there is a blanket answer to this. I, I firmly reject the idea that you cannot write outside of your own individual background or experience. I also firmly believe that the work that you do should be something that you are suited to write. Um, and that you have to be coming from a place of authenticity in some way. Um, so I, I, the, I, I reject both extremes mm-hmm. of the, you know, you, you have to stay in your lane. I, I don't believe that. I also um, believe that, like, it is important uh, to, to be treating your subject matter um, with, uh, from a place of, of respect and sensitivity and personal connection. And that's why the answer is different for every author. Um, And it is not, by the way, just an issue for those who, let's say, you know, an author who's white, who wants to write a character who comes from a different ethnic or cultural background than them. I mean, I'm writing an epic epic fantasy that is set, uh, that is inspired by Asian countries and cultures that um, I haven't personally lived in. I have... Mm -hmm largely i have a connection to it through my family history um but even trust me even even authors of of minority um 
cultures and ethnicities struggle with it because they have they face that question of oh am i asian enough you know to write this or you know <laughs> yeah. like and, and and any sort of of gatekeeping um or or identity policing is really counterproductive um to this this whole issue but uh i think all i can i can say is that um whatever you're writing ask yourself why am i a why am I writing this? Why am I the right person to write this? And that may be a different answer. I mean, you may be somebody who has a really deep cultural understanding of a place because you have lived there for 15 years. Even maybe if you're, let's say you're writing about Japan, but you've, you, you're not Japanese, but you've lived there for 15 years. I mean, you have an insight there that might give you, um, you know, a huge advantage and a reason to write, um, or, you know, you might be somebody who, like me, has not lived there, but you have, you know, uh, you have uh, the connection and, and the, uh, uh, you know, personal reason to want to, to, to write that. So um, I, I really think it is an individual uh, calculation and decision for everybody. You've got to um, come at it from, from the right place. Yeah, no, that, that, yeah. that makes sense. And, and, Earlier, you you said when you were starting to write Jade City, you had you were you had fun sort of constructing that world in you know presumably at the start of the the whole project. And um, when you read the books, it it comes alive. It is it's almost like another character in the book that you it becomes as familiar as the characters to the reader and things like that. I mean, when you're planning something like that. How much, you know, what, A, what comes first and B, do you spend as much time on the world building as you do the characters and things like that? Or does that kind of start to come naturally as you, as you work in that world? It's a very iterative process and it depends on the project um, because sometimes the, the story comes to you as a character first. Um, and that's the first thing that pops into your mind. Sometimes it's a plot point that comes to your mind first. Sometimes it's the world that comes to you first and you take whatever comes to you first and you start to accrue additional material around it, like a snowball gathering. And in the case of Jade city, the world came to me first. And so once I had kind of the, bones of how this world worked i started to create the characters that i wanted to see in this world whose whose stories i wanted to tell and then that what i wanted to do with the plot and the characters then fed more into how i developed Mm. the world and it all kind of you know became very much a, a a back and forth conversation between what i think of as like the three pillars of story plot character and world and that uh that process is um is a lot of fun because you kind of have to um stay open to doing world building and developing in parallel with developing the plot and with with the with the uh, process of developing the characters and uh i usually I mean, I, I love world building. I'm a world building junkie. Um, and so I tend to spend a good six to eight weeks before I even 
begin writing page one, just doing um, research and development and outlining and world building. And um, I then start, when I start writing, I might, well, hit places where I might have to pause and go back and do some more work. Um, or, you know, in the revision process, I'll, I'll come across things where I'll have to do more research and that'll lead me to develop other areas. So like a good example of this in the Greenbone saga is when I started writing Jade City, I had a vague idea of the outside world beyond the island of KCON, but I didn't fully flesh it out. I just knew that Jade is this really important resource and, and it influences the trade that this country has with its um, outside uh, partners and that there was this other big country uh, that was kind of a Western power analog and they buy Jade from KCON. So like I, I knew that was part of the background of the story that was being told in the first book. But I didn't develop like the entire geography of Espenia and what the cities were and all of that until I hit book two. And once, once I knew um, that it would be a trilogy and, and I was under a three book deal, then when I hit the second book, I'm like, okay, well, I've already sort of set up this background uh, of the international geopolitical dynamics in the first book. And now I can go and explore that and do the world building for all that. And how am I going to uh, develop that in a way that serves the story that I want to tell? So it is very much a, um, a there's not really kind of like a, it's not a, a chunked process. It's very much like parallel processing yeah. all of it. And it sounds like you um, you do a lot of work kind of research work on the world before you start writing is is it a similar thing you do for the plot do you do you plan out where the plot goes or or does the plot just kind of come to you as a process as a part of having worked out the world i do plan uh, i do tend to be an outliner and have a rough outline in place when i start writing for me personally i need to know where the story ends mm-hmm. that's how i can begin i won't start writing a story until I know where I'm headed. Um, I know there are authors out there who just sit down, they start typing and, and I don't understand them, the I don't know. crazy I don't people. know how they do it. Yes, <laughs> that I, I, it's, a, it's a mystery to me, but um, I need to know the destination and I need to know kind of some of the main turning points in the story. Uh, in the same way that like, if I said, uh, I'm going on a trip, I need to know, hey, I'm, I'm, going to drive to Los Angeles and I'm going to stop at San Francisco along the way. Like, so I, I, I made the exact path that I take. I don't know yet, Um, but I do need to know some of the, the big, um, big moments. So uh, Jade city is a great example of this. I needed, I knew how it would end. I knew some of those big turning points um, right off the bat. And are are you someone that, um, tries to get quite a clean first draft or do you try and get the draft out of the way and then revise it after that? Yeah. Uh, My first drafts tend to be relatively clean. Um, I am not a a fast first drafter. I have tried to do NaNoWriMo. Uh, I have failed multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) I I have, uh, and and my NaNoWriMo, my failed NaNoWriMo projects have have turned into published novels. So anyone listening out there who struggles with NaNoWriMo, 
you do not need to be good at it to become a, a published author. Um, I tend to draft fairly slowly, but my first drafts tend to be relatively clean. Um, and there's times though, that I just have to throw caution to the winds and, and vomit out stuff as quickly as I can, because I'm in a, in a tough spot and I just need to write around something. But for the most part, I am a pretty slow and steady writer. That That is quite a useful uh, piece of advice, isn't it? Because sometimes when you're writing, you can get stuck at a point and some people will sit there for days sometimes trying to you know fix that bit but Mm -hmm. it can be helpful just to sort of jump over it almost and and think I'll come back and fix that later yeah yeah definitely I've done that before I've also written out of order uh, and each of the three books in the Greenbone saga necessitated a different approach because Jade City was a pretty linear, straightforward um, writing process. Uh, but Jade War, there's a whole section of this book that takes place in another country. And um, it was difficult to, it would have been difficult to write it jumping back and forth. Yeah. Um, so I wrote multiple chapters in this other location with this other character and wrote other hold the whole other stream and then i would stitch them together and figure out how to break them up so that they worked chronologically um and uh sort of like filming a a movie like you try to film all of your shots uh, in one location Uh and then all your shots another so there was so that was jade war and then jade legacy which just came out in november was this um this novel that covered this large amount of time chronologically and holding it all in my head, it's a 700 plus page book, was just uh, brain smashing uh, in its uh, complexity. And so I broke it into smaller pieces. I had to think of it almost like seasons of a TV show. So I would write um, the first quarter of the book and then stop and review that first right. quarter okay. and kind of do a 1.5 or you know a second draft mm-hmm. of that section before I moved on because that whole section had to hang together before I could jump five years in the future and do the next section. Yeah. So each of those, that's, and that's just in the same trilogy that I had three different writing experiences. So every book is, uh, it, it's like raising kids. Like you think you got it nailed after the first <laughs> yeah, one, but, right. but no, not that way. Don't, don't, don't tell Tarek learn... that he's he had his first one. It gets harder. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> um, and and you've got the prequel novella coming out in April. And I kind of wondered, is this, going forward, is this a world you see a place you could tell more stories in? You know, do you have an overall kind of arc of where you want things to go? Or is it kind of uh, something popping your head and you think, actually, that'd be a good Jade City story to tell? So the main trilogy, the Green Bone Saga, is complete. That's the story that I wanted to tell. And I'm having fun adding on little pieces to it (laughs) because the novella came about uh, from the the publisher at at Subterranean Press uh, and the editor saying, hey, will you write us a novella? And I was at that point in the thick of writing a 250,000 word trilogy ending novel. A novella sounds delightful <laughs> 40,000 words it's like what like four chapters <laughs> like I was, <laughs> so I, I was just absolutely enamored with the idea of writing something short 
and uh, and the the idea of writing a story with different characters in the same world that explored uh, sort of a different perspective, and it's sort of a noir mystery. So it's it's if the if the Greenbone Saga is uh, is the Godfather, this is like Chinatown. So I had I just had fun doing that, um, and then uh, while I was finishing up Jade Legacy, I just frankly didn't want to leave the world yet, and I ended up writing a bunch of short stories uh, that um, that I'd released on on Patreon. So I've been playing around, adding little little things to it, um, but I don't see it as turning into the multiverse. I mean, people have asked, "Are you going to do another trilogy in the world?" Um, no, I don't don't have plans to do that right now. Not I'll never say never, but um, I have uh, other ideas, other projects that I want to get to, and um, the Greenbone Saga is the story of that generation of characters that I set out to tell, and I'm. As much as I, uh, I, I, as much as I, I love to stay in that world and to and to be with those characters, I also really like stories that end. Yeah, I'm one of these readers who I I struggle to commit or to start things. Uh, even watching TV series these days, like I don't want to start a series until I know there's a satisfactory. Yeah. Yeah, that's what annoys me so much about stuff getting cancelled yeah. super early. And I'm like, well, oh. I don't even know if I want to watch it now if I know it doesn't even get wrapped up properly. I, I completely me. agree. It's 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 a bit hypocritical of me because as an author, I'm like, no, don't wait for the next books. Go out, buy my book, buy my book now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> as a consumer, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, I'm waiting. I want to make sure this thing's going to end that's in, so true. in a yeah, satisfactory totally. way. So I completely uh, understand where where readers are coming from, those who, who want to wait. Um, and that was actually factored a lot into my, into the pressure that I felt to, to finish the mm. trilogy within a reasonable amount of time, because that's what I would want. You know, I, I also just selfishly um, very much wanted to, to be satisfied with, with a complete story. Well, it's definitely a complete story. And also in the world of fantasy books, finishing the trilogy at any point is, is right. quite a quite a, quite an achievement right. these days <laughs> yes. um, but but we were talking about tv there the green bone saga um is in development is it still in development for it TV? is yeah yeah and so that, it's been what it's stage been is it at? Yeah. it's in uh, i guess what you would what we call development hell which is this <laughs> indeterminate amount of time in which it is in, in development uh, there has been progress so it is it was um optioned for development at Peacock and it uh, has had a couple of um, scripts written. So the pilot script was written um, based on the pilot script. The second episode was written. So it is now sitting on an executive's desk um, waiting for uh, someone to throw a bucket of money at it. Uh, (laughs) And uh, as the author, um, all I can do is, is, uh, you know, not that different from what, readers and and viewers can do which is cross my fingers and i mean i I genuinely think uh, i'm amazed it hasn't been snapped up it's the perfect sort of thing for a streaming service i would have thought the 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 story to tell but hopefully it will be hopefully we'll see it soon well the Um, creative team certainly thinks so (laughs) so we'll just we'll have to you know we'll, we'll have to keep our fingers crossed Awesome. And you've also got um, Untethered Sky, which has just been announced. Is there anything you can tell us about that? 
it is um, a standalone novella. Um, I really did suspend this past year writing short things because I think I needed to reset my brain. What happened was, so I've written a, a standalone novel, then a duology, then an epic fantasy trilogy. Uh, and I thought at this rate, the next thing I'm going to write is like, you know, the 10 book. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. You I'm not, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> this is not a trajectory that I want to be on. Uh, so I, uh, I, I really uh, went the other direction and I wrote uh, that Greenbone Saga novella, Jade Setter of John Loon. And I wrote a number of short stories which are coming out, uh, a couple of them are coming out this year. And then I wrote um, Untethered Sky. Uh, so I've written, it's, it's weird because 2021, um, I thought, gosh, I didn't write a novel, but I ended up like writing two novellas and a bunch of shorts, which all together kind of ended yeah. up being about the word count of a novella. But Untethered Sky was a project that I started before I wrote the Greenbone Saga. Right. It's funny with, with um, just, the way projects work out, uh, you know, nothing ever dies. Like, it's, it's, you know, you hear about um, writers putting out books that they've been working on for 12 years or what have not. No. Because there's, so you have ideas that you start working on and then you set them aside and you work on something else, but that idea doesn't leave and you come back to it eventually. So Untethered Sky is one of, is an example of that where um, I started writing it and I liked the idea, but I wasn't, wasn't quite sure where it was going. And I, and I set it aside um, and I still really liked the premise, um, but I didn't just kind of shelved it for a while. And um, I was at Worldcon a few years back and an editor at tour.com um, Jonathan Strawn sat down with me over breakfast and he was like, I love Jade City. Have you ever thought about writing a novella? And I was like, no, but sounds lovely. And he said, well, you know, here, you know, novellas are doing really well. And here's, you know, some examples. If you ever have an idea that you think would work well for a novella, let me know. And so I um, came back to that story and thought, actually, this would really work well as a novella. Um, if I changed a bunch of things and it ended up being like almost a complete rewrite because um, something that sounds easy when you first conceive of it, like I'll just turn this into a novella is like never as easy as you <laughs> think it's going to be. Uh, but it, uh, it was very, it's very different from Greenbone Saga. It was a way for me to kind of stretch in the different direction. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a great play. Great for me personally, that um, is the role of short fiction because my big projects are such a huge investment in terms of time and effort. The Greenbone Saga has taken up you know, seven years of my life. And something that can be written and uh, finished within a few months is where I can play. It really feels yeah. like uh, just exploration and, um, and, 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 and almost like a vacation for me. It's a nice palate cleanser. It's a way to do things that I wouldn't necessarily commit to doing in a epic trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and I'm excited for, I think there's, there's the cover art's going to be fantastic. I'm really Brilliant. Looking forward. Nice. Looking forward yeah. to it. And would you ever want to um, 
you know, is novels where you want to, or novellas, novels, uh, is prose where you want to stay, or would you be interested ever in writing a graphic novel or a, or a screenplay or anything like that? I've written some comics, so I did a stint writing for Marvel, and I really enjoyed learning how to write comics and write in that graphic medium. It's uh, storytelling is storytelling, so if you have the mind for doing it in one medium. In my opinion, it's not that hard to transfer those skills yeah. into another medium. You just have to learn the uh, the actual practical uh, techniques of doing that. But um, I found it very fun and easy to move into writing comics. I also, but I also um, I don't see myself doing that uh, as a career shift. My heart is very much in prose um mm. and i've been asked before you know I've, would you would you want to write screenplays and screenplays actually and comic scripts have some similarities yeah. to them because you're you're working in visual mediums and the wonderful thing about working in comics was uh seeing how quickly it came to fruition like a monthly comic i mean I, i'm used to working on projects and like no one bothering me for a yeah. year yeah. And then the book comes out like another year after that. And with comics, I write the script. I send in the pages. A couple of weeks later, the our line art comes back and it's amazing. And like a few weeks after that, it's like you just have, you're, you're working on like final proofing and then like, a, and, and then it's done. It's, it's, it's amazingly fast and satisfying. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a nice, uh, it was a nice change of pace. Um, but my heart is really in in prose and in novels, and I see that kind of being the bread and butter um, of my career. And then perhaps like branching out here and there and doing a few, you know, keeping it fresh yeah. for myself. Yeah, I think it's absolutely. I think it's important as an author to keep yourself challenged and motivated and still doing things new even in the same medium like even in novels i think well what am i going to do different in my next project um that's going to be exciting and fresh and challenging for me uh, but hopefully still appeal to it's, it's that we're back to that sort of fresh but the same kind of thing the publishers yeah. are wanting there yeah and uh, so uh, what's, what, oh sorry Derek, on you. i just just gonna ask um What's next? What else are you working on? What that that is unannounced that you can share with us for the first time and have a <laughs> exclusive announcement. I wish I could, but uh, I haven't even shown my editor what I'm working on next. <laughs> fair enough. Would not be not be fair uh, for me to do that. But I am I'm working on another um, project. It's right now I've got a science fiction concept that I'm excited nice. about, and um, that will hopefully. Uh, if all goes well, be my next novel project. Um, so I am cool. I'm, I'm in the thick of that right now. More to come. Excellent. Nice. What was the last book that you read? The last book I read was Shogun by James oh, right. Clavell. Nice, um, yeah, yeah, a classic. Uh, and I, I always try to read in my genre and out of my genre. So I try to kind of swap back and forth a little bit and make sure I'm still. I'm obviously science fiction and fantasy is 
my home. And so I'm always going to read quite a bit in there. But I, I get so much inspiration from outside of the genre as well. Like you can tell the Greenbone Saga is highly influenced mm-hmm. by, uh, by gangster stories and crime drama. So um, I was on a little bit of a historical fiction kick. So I decided to tackle Shogun. Uh, and it's a, it's a great read. So that's the last thing that I, I read. Awesome. I've got the first two books of that series on my, on my Kindle, which I've not read yet, but I've been looking for some time. And they're massive books. But I've been yeah, they are. Yeah. Point, yeah. 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 Um, I, they made me feel a bit better because I thought, well, okay. My, my book <laughs> not is the only not one. Yeah. <laughs> 1,200 pages long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what about the last uh, film that you watched? The la- what was the last film that I watched? Um I think the last film I watched was Don't Look Up. All right, okay. Yeah, that was nice. my last one. Right now, I am um, watching the final season of Attack on Titan. Oh, cool! Yeah, I watched the first season of that, loved it, and I've not watched any, anything else oh. past that. I need to get back to it. Yeah. Oh, you do, you really do. It just, it just gets more everything, more intense, <laughs> more awesome. complex, more intri- yeah, yeah, you know you. Yeah. It's on my to watch list, but I've not I've not watched any of it's, it yet. It's, it's very good. Yeah. Again, that's a very good blend of like kind of medieval stuff, but with kind of sci-fi giant people. It kind of mishmashes a few genres. Right. Right. For... Yeah. I mean, it is. It's a. It's a mech uh, story, but it, in a fantasy setting, that's kind of got. But it also. There's also I'm not going to spoil anything. You just you just okay. go watch it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, that's the that's the um, the main stuff we do. But we always finish a podcast with a super quick fire either or. So I always say there's no right answer apart from one. But we'll start off with fantasy or sci-fi. Oh goodness, I can't choose this. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Oh. You're allowed to sit on the fence if you want. Yeah, I I really. I do. I, I feel like they are two sides of a coin. Yeah. And I like to sit right <laughs> right in the middle, straddling the sides Fair of the coin. Um, if you if you if you forced me to choose, I would lean towards science fiction. Um, and I think you can see that even in my epic fantasy, that there's mm. there's strong element, a science fictional edge to it. Yeah. Uh, Godfather or Goodfellas. You guys, <laughs> Godfather. We ask the tough questions. Godfather <laughs> because of Godfather Part Two, which I am yeah. okay, I am lumping good, in to, to the okay. first category. Yeah. Um, TV or cinema? Oh gosh, uh, cinema, and the reason is because I still love the experience of going to the movie yeah. theater. I know yeah. that in the pandemic times. Everyone just sits down and streams stuff, but I. It's not the same, is it? It's not the same. I yeah. love going to the theater. Um, I, I have. I'm one of those people who, if I had a free day, I just go to the cinema and watch like three movies in a row. <laughs> so I, I love that experience. I still love the big screen and going to the, to the theater. There's so much good stuff on television, though. It's hard that I think. I think television is where you see so much great writing. Yeah. Um, these days and so that makes it a hard choice but when uh when when the cinema experience is is good it's 
it, it, that's that's what I would go with. Yeah, yeah nice. Uh, night owl or early bird? Oh, night owl. I mean, now now I'm not really either. I like I used to be more of a night owl, but now I get tired early. I don't know. It's very disappointing <laughs> because I get so. What's happened? So I am by nature more of a night owl but I'm forced by family circumstance to wake up early. And so that's eaten away at my natural night owl ability. And so now I'm just kind of like a chronically fatigued night owl. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, that makes but sense. yes, but, but uh, a night owl, I, I have a lot of inertia. I find it hard to wake up in the morning, but I also find it hard to go to sleep at night. I, I always try to I'm always trying to do something else at night. I'm terrible at the, what's the phrase they have for it sleep procrastination i'll I'll sort of sit there and look at nothing of importance on my phone rather than go to my bed and sleep. i am the same way it is a terrible habit i'm trying to to stop myself from doing that but i relate very hard (laughs) Uh, and the last one real book or ebook real book i hesitation in that one in a zero i (laughs) uh I do have an appreciation for my e-reader that I did not have quite as much um, before, but I now realize that like, it is just super handy and portable for traveling. Um, and so I, and I like uh, being able to carry it around with me, but there's just no accounting for like the, the kinesthetic satisfaction of the real book the cover it, and flipping the pages and cracking the spine for it's the sort of time. like the tv cinema thing again i think like yeah sitting yeah, down yeah. with a real book if you've got time is like yeah, being at the cinema yeah, watching a big that's, a, that's quite a good analogy movie. actually yeah, yeah totally yeah yeah but, but now I'm that, at... that's a wrong answer i'm afraid that correct answer is ebook <laughs> <laughs> you got that one wrong <laughs> so, I got, so i got three out of four right but you know yeah, what you, i will you do you sat the fence for one as well so you did pretty badly this <laughs> I, I will say though my um, habits uh, ebooks have changed my purchasing habits in the sense that mm. I will now usually uh, get the ebook first. Like I, I used to always want to, but like the, I mean, shelf space is at a premium these yeah, days. Yeah, totally. So yeah. I will get the ebook first or borrow the ebook, and then if I really want it on the shelf, then I go out and buy the hard the copy after the fact. Okay. Nice. That sounds like an ebook answer to me. I'm, I'm going to put it down as an ebook. Tarek is a big ebook advocate, as you'll tell. Yeah. And all I'm of our guests trying to find always say real books, so it's a, a big yeah, disappointment yeah. for him. Oh, well, you know, but you didn't ask audiobook, which would have thrown another wrench into Yeah, the that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Audiobooks. I've definitely got into audiobooks recently. Yeah. The last, yeah. I think lockdowns really got me into them more than it did prior, but yeah, they are great audiobooks. Yeah. Uh, that was a really really interesting chat i really enjoyed that it, it was great hearing the number of influences that have come to make jade city a reality it's such a fascinating mash of all these different strands yeah it's done such a great job definitely together. and I, I thought what was really interesting as well was you know it seems obvious to point this out but i'm sure when you're in the trenches as it were as an author but it doesn't need to be that first book that makes you the best seller yeah. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. It, you know, with Fonda, it was her third book that really broke through for her. And even then, it was this kind of slow burn before it really picked up speed. But yeah. um, I think there can be this pressure on the authors will give themselves on this first book that if it doesn't oh, yeah, totally. become a bestseller, then suddenly it's a failure and all the yeah. time has been wasted and, and all this And sort we've of checked to so many authors who it's been their third, fifth, twelfth yeah. book that for some reason it's just really resonated, it's connected, it's come out at the right time. And, and yeah, and so never, I think the important thing, as you say, is never give up. It's because your first book doesn't make a, the number one New York I Times I mean, getting published list. is a huge deal. And that's something yeah, that's that you exactly. should always be yeah. proud of and is totally. a massive achievement. And you mustn't totally. let it, it, you know, put you down if it if the sales aren't like in the tens Absolutely. of thousands and things like totally. that. Totally. The, the important thing is that you're able to write what you want to write. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the goal. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, um, thanks very much to Fonda for coming on to the podcast. Really enjoyed chatting to her. And I'm really looking forward to um, the novella set in the Green Bone yeah, saga world um, as well as uh, the other novella she was talking about Untethered Sky so it sounds like she's got a lot of exciting projects coming up yeah definitely um, now as we mentioned at the start of the podcast uh, we are announcing the competition winners of our recent competition so there's a whole selection of books you'll have seen maybe on our social media the video of all the books that are available three winners will win a sort of selection of those books each and assigned a book by Ian Rankin and a signed page one notebook, and the ta- real prize. Really. Yeah, and then that, two runners up. People are entering. Will win a, a signed page one notebook each. So, Tarek, do you want to tell us who's won the the books and the notebook? Yes. Yeah, so the winners of the selection of books, the signed Ian Rankin novel and the signed page one are Gillian Mackay. Simon Stevenson and Caroline Chapman. So congratulations to all you guys. Well congratulations done. to you and we'll be in touch uh, just to arrange for those to be sent out. And the winners of the notebooks are uh, Polizio Turner and R. Gilmore. So as I say, we'll be in touch with all of the winners uh, to to get the addresses that we should be sending these prizes to. And thanks very yeah, much and for thank entering. you very much for yeah, everyone who entered and for those who were unsuccessful. Don't worry, there's plenty of page ones in stock. I'm happy to sign them if you want it signed. Marco could sign them. Exactly. Tim, the boss man, can sign them and if you want. you know, Tarek, how you can get a discount on your page one. How? Tell me more, Marco. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website. So Interesting. If you sign up to the newsletter, uh, you'll get a bit of a summary of the some of the recent writing advice some of our authors have been giving, uh, along with a discount code for page one and also a bit of uh, information on what we've been reading and watching and things like that. So, um, yeah, if you want to do that, that's a good way to get a a discount on the notebooks. Uh, But before we move on, we should let people know who's on next week's guest because it's another great guest. Yeah, we do indeed. As always, next week we're chatting with Ben Aranovich, who's an English author, screenwriter. Uh, He's written some Doctor Who novels, Blake Seven novels, but perhaps most famously... At the moment is his Rivers of London series which of novels, is huge, which are pretty yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah, really huge. Yeah, it, it was good fun chatting with Ben, um, just hearing about where that quite unique idea came from, and very unique. Um, you know how it's how it spawned this massive success. Really, it, it's yeah. it's become 
not just a book franchise it's a it's a comic franchise there's talk of a yeah. tv show you know it, it's really it could be i mean it's exploded anyway but it could explode even further in the near yeah, future yeah. for those that don't know it's uh am i right in saying it's it's, it's kind of like a, the gods or the rivers of london and the uk yeah the, the sort of personification yeah. of, of the rivers the real people and characters and uh, these uh sort of magic police if I, I'm, I'm using air quotes there uh, interact with them and solve solve crimes uh, with the help a, or sometimes with the hindrance of of these rivers. It's a very interesting setup, I have to say. Yeah, no, it's 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 unique, definitely unique. Um, but I think you know, people like that are fans of things like American Gods by Neil Gaiman and things like that. Yeah, it's very similar to that kind yeah, of idea of, sort of taking idea. something and making but it. Maybe a slightly more like hearted take on it all. I would say, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's next week's guest. And it, before we go, if you enjoyed this episode, if you wanted to uh, rate and review us an Apple Podcast or whatever your favourite podcast app is, that would be really helpful to us to continue to get these great guests on the podcast. And of course, if anybody wants to get in touch, you can always drop us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK Page One, uh, and they can send us an email, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Yeah, and the only other thing I'm going to say is that. We do. I mentioned our YouTube channel, which we did neglect for a long time. But we're, we're back. We're back. We're back. So we're slowly uploading all of our previous episodes, audio only uh, for most of them. But we're we're uh, putting those up onto YouTube. So if that's your preferred way of listening, then uh, soon all of the back catalogue should be up there. And we're hoping to have more video episodes in the near future as well. Yeah, we've got some very exciting things in the pipeline, which we'll talk to you at a later date indeed indeed uh, just yeah we'll keep we'll keep that as a surprise at the moment because it's largely a surprise to us as well <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what we're doing yeah um, but otherwise uh, have a great week and we hope to see you next episode see you later 